Good morning. We would like to welcome you to worship with us this morning. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us, and we'd love to have a record of your attendance, whether you are a longtime member, a first-time visitor, or someone that worships here on a regular basis. We ask that you would grab that pew pad at the end of the pew, complete the information that's there, and then uh, pass that to your neighbors. We have a bunch of announcements today. The first is, hopefully you're making plans to stick around with us after worship today for our brunch, the fifth Sunday brunch. Uh, hopefully you've made plans and you brought something with you. If you didn't, it's okay. We'll let you have coffee or something at the very least right? So we hope you'll stick around for that. Also, we're going to have our very first Vacation Bible School planning meeting today uh, after worship as well. That's going to help us get ready for VBS, which is just about five weeks away. So the first full week of June, we're going to be having Vacation Bible School. It's an exciting time. We're going to go to space this year, and so we hope that you'll be here to help us with that. But there are a few things that we need to talk about before, so Holly is going to have that uh, meeting going on uh, after our worship today. Also, on May 13th, please, we hope that you can help us out. Uh, the post office is going to be helping with a canned food drive. Uh, so for our food uh, closet here in St. Albans at St. Mark's. And so if you can help out, there's an announcement in the bulletin on the 13th at 1230. That should say p.m., not a.m. We don't want you to have to come in the middle of the night. Uh, but uh, if you can help us out by helping sorting food as that food comes in off of the postal trucks, uh, so that'll be a great day. You're going to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, you can also talk to Andy about that. She uh, kind of helps us get going with that as well. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God. Please join me in our cardinal worship. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come, let us worship the risen Lord. You arise if you're able for our opening hymn, number 187, Savior Like a Shepherd Leads Us. <clears throat>
now the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And also with you. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, if you seek me with all your heart. Please join me. O God, whose Son Jesus is the Good Shepherd of your people, grant that when we hear his voice, we may know him who calls us each by name, and follow where he leads us, who, with you and the Holy Spirit, lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Only Christ. Yeah, we know that he came for us, he lived with us, he died for us. He rose again to a new life for us and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The Apostle Paul reminds us that he prays for us. We know that in Christ's coming God was reconciling the world to himself, that our old life is gone and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven and be at peace and pray also for me a sinner. Amen. be seated. Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Ezekiel chapter 34 verses 7 through 15. Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord as I live says the Lord God because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild animals and since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my sheep and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths so that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will sort them out. As shepherds sort out their flocks when they are among scattered sheep, so I will sort out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the watercourses and on all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
may be seated, and at this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. Okay, how many of you have a middle name? Okay, how often do you use your middle name? Not that much. When I was your age, the only time that my middle name was used is when I was in trouble, right? Mark Allen Boyd! Has that ever happened to you, Braxton? Have you ever been in trouble like that? No? Yes, you have? Okay. What's your middle name, Braxton? Anthony. Braxton Anthony? That's Anthony. Yeah, that's a big Anthony, right? That's little Anthony, right? What's your middle name, Olivia? Lauren. Olivia Lauren? How many times is that said in your house? A lot? No, not a lot? Okay. What's your middle name? You don't like your middle name? No. Okay, it's okay. All right. So her middle name's what? Louise. Oh, Eva Louise? Oh, my goodness. You know what to do, right? What, Owen, what's your middle name? What is this? What is Louise? What is Elise? That's a middle name. It's another name like Owen. Owen, what's your middle name? Owen Wesley Foster. Do you ever, somebody said that to you ever? You get in trouble when you say that? No, but you know, you know when that's said that way, you know who it is, right? It's either mom or dad, grandma, uncle, cousin, like the only people that you're going to get in trouble for, right? That's when they say your middle name, right? Well, the story that I'm getting ready to read is a story where Jesus says that he knows our names and that we know his voice and that when he calls our voice we'll know it's him and then what get what do you think that he says that we should do when he says our name we should follow him right and so this idea of you know you know when you're in trouble with mom and dad right like you know that's going to happen right mark allen boyd i knew i was in trouble I was trying to figure a way out of getting out of trouble, and it rarely happened, right? Do you ever do that, Olivia? No, you know, you just take it, right? When you're in trouble, you just take it. You just jump out the window. Okay, you can do that to avoid being in trouble. But when Jesus calls our name, when Jesus says, Mark Allen Boyd, I have something to give you. And it's all the love you could ever imagine being given to you at one time. Yes, Owen, what is your question, buddy? A hoopster? I don't know. Why to think about that? Why to Google that later? Braxton, what was your question? You don't know where that's coming from. That's a good point. You could be scared, right? You could be scared if somebody that you don't know says your name like that, right? That's the thing. But the good thing with well, he could be a stranger, but when he introduces himself to us, then we know who he is right? And that's the good thing. Jesus says that we're all like sheep and he's our good shepherd. And that just like sheep know their shepherd and they hear his voice and they know who it is. Jesus says we're the same way. And Jesus is calling all of us to have a closer relationship with him. We're not in trouble with Jesus. He just wants to give us all the love in the world. So we're going to pray and we're going to thank God for middle names. And we're going to thank God for calling us by name, and that he loves us, okay? So let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you, and we're so glad we have middle names. 
And we're so glad that you know our name. And we wait to hear your voice. Please call our names and tell us you love us and send us where you want us to be. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down. I invite you to turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to read just the first 10 verses. Hear God's holy word. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and abandoned. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do thank you for your story, and we thank you, Lord, for the way that your spirit interacts with us in the form of story. And God, we ask now that you would open our minds and our souls to hear your story this day. We say all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. In 1989, I uh, was able to go to the National Boy Scout Jamboree in Fort A.P. Hill, Virginia. I got to see the Eagles play a concert there. I got to, me and 30,000 of my closest friends got to wave at George Bush Sr. as the president came to speak to us there. There were scouts from all over the country. In fact, there were scouts from all over the world. In fact, the, the scout troop that I went with was a conglomeration of scouts from the tri-state area. And we hosted a group of seven or eight scouts from Korea who stayed with us all week long. And one of the deals with going to National Jamboree is that you have to have a gateway to your campsite. And so you have to have something that reflects a portion of your home region. So can you imagine what kind of a gateway we constructed for representing West Virginia, Kentucky, and Ohio? It wasn't rust, but it was coal, right? So we made a big entry to look like you were going into uh, a coal mine. And the only way that you could go into somebody else's campsite was to ask permission of whoever was in charge that day. Somebody was given the duty each day for a few hours to be the gatekeeper for the campsite. It was kind of like a tour guide for the day. You asked that person's permission to enter. They told you a little bit about uh, where we were from, the region, and all those different kinds of things, and then you were able to enter our campsite. 
it was a it was a really kind of cool uh, thing to experience to walk around and see all these different states represented all at one location. But gateways are not just ornamental; they're actually created to be a specific set of boundaries. There's a moderately sized opening in a fence, and it's a specific way to keep what you want in and what you don't want out. The gateway is an inviting way to control population. Who do you want to come in? We want you to come in, but we want you to come in on our time, in our way, and we want to teach you about us. So if you're squirming a little bit with that definition, then by definition, you are an anarchist. Anarchists don't like to be told when and where and how they get to go and do things. You probably don't enjoy amusement parks. You probably don't enjoy museums or security checkpoints. All of those things are created to curb anarchy. And Americans, we just don't like to be told what to do, do we? Right? We don't like it. We don't like stop signs. I don't even like stop signs. I like to just to slow down and then ease my way through, right? Americans are unique that we want individual freedoms. We want freedoms of conscience. We, we want the ability to be a frontiers person. And we love our individual liberties in the Bill of Rights. And there's a very, very fine line between individualism, frontierism, and anarchism. It's the unique part of what makes America work, actually. Depends on the size of the gate, what others are coming into, what signs you have to mark your territory, and maybe there's simply just a warning sign like, do not enter. Our text today is a warning sign. It's a warning sign. It's a political statement in many ways as well. Jesus and his followers, who we think were mostly men, that's the names that we get. We know that some women followed him as well, but I'm going to speak directly about the men that followed him. Little boys who were raised in Israel during the first century were taught, and by the time they were 18 had to have memorized, basically, maybe a little bit before they were 18, uh, they, had to be, they had to learn the entire law of Israel. So they had to memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, so they had to know that so well. Remember, this was the time before a lot of people knew how to write, so you had to listen, and you had to be able to repeat those things. So pretty much anybody that was a disciple of Jesus, even the women who weren't officially taught, who would sit through synagogue lessons, would know a great deal, but they would know this uh, set of verses pretty well. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint someone over the congregation who shall be before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. That's from Numbers 27, 16 through 18. That's the call of Joshua. Joshua was a really important person in the life of Israel. Joshua was the one that took over for Moses and actually led the people into the promised land. And he had to be selected. And he was selected to be the shepherd leading the people in, quite literally, to the promised land. Anybody, when Jesus was teaching this specific kind of example, who would be called a rabbi, 
would also have had to memorize the whole Old Testament text in order to be a rabbi. So they would know Jeremiah 23, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the shepherds who shepherd my people, it is you who have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Ezekiel speaks almost the exact same message, as does Micah and Zechariah. Shepherds were a very important part of the life of Israel. They raised the sheep that were to be slaughtered every year for Passover. They had to raise them to be perfect examples of what a sheep is supposed to be without blemish. So Jesus uses some pretty strong words here, and we kind of just glaze over them a bit. But he is really riling up many of the religious leaders of the day. Our Old Testament text, I think, deals fairly straightforwardly about the warnings of what happens when shepherds don't do what shepherds are supposed to do. Jesus isn't developing a new thought when he talks about sheep pens and gates and shepherds. But what he is doing is taking an ancient example and pointing out, again, almost directly to the rabbis, of how they've been abusing their people. He uses very strong words, thieves and robbers. Kleptes is the word for thieves. It's where we get our word kleptomaniac, which means what? Someone caught continually thieving. If you steal one time, you could be a thief. A lot of people say, yeah, you're a thief forever, but a kleptomaniac is somebody that continues to do that example over and over again, and that's what he calls the rabbis. Jesus has been a critic of the economic practices of the Judean temple officials the entire time he's been preaching about any time that he, unfortunately, it's translated in our text as Jews. He's really speaking, it says that it looks like he's speaking against the Jews. It's really the Judeans. It's the Judean leadership in the Gospel of John that live up high on that hill in Jerusalem. He speaks against them. It's really a kind of practice that has been so enmeshed in their society that the people just expect that they have to give out of their poverty continually to the temple. And it's really a weird thing because you couldn't be forgiven unless you had the amount of money that said this is what your sin offering should be. Unless you had that amount of money or that amount of a possession, you couldn't literally be forgiven. So he uses this word thieves as a critique, and the next word that he says is robber, it's lestes. And it's not really robber. Robber is probably like the most benign translation of that. Theologian Wes Howard Brook calls it revolutionary guerrillas. Old Testament theologian Ray Brown says guerrilla warriors is what Jesus was calling the temple elite. Meaning that they were posing on the people economic exploitation, terror, and violence. It's a very politically charged statement that Jesus makes. Those in power are terrorists who successfully and continuously steal and plunder. And who do they rob? They rob their own people. They rob the sheep that they're supposed to be caring for. 
And this is an abrupt beginning. Jesus ships to the shepherd of the sheep who enters through the gate. The gatekeeper at the beginning is God who opens the gate for the shepherd. The sheep will hear the true shepherd's voice and he calls them by name. He leads them out. He goes before them and his sheep follow. There's a shift in that story. The passage begins with entering the sheepfold, but now the good shepherd is leading his sheep out. And, and the one thing that I don't like about the lectionary, there's several things I don't like about the lectionary, but one of the things that disturbs me today, we're supposed to read all of John 10 to make this story make sense. The very next verse, verse 11, says Jesus has Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. We kind of missed that part in the first 10 verses. So really we should probably read all of that, but we read the next part of that later in the lectionary. In chapter 5 of John's Gospel, Jesus says, Everyone who hears my voice will come out of the grave. They will hear the voice and they will come out. The sheepfold is this place of protection. But here Jesus kind of makes it equal with death. And what happens in John chapter 11? Very next chapter. John goes and says something to his best friend, Lazarus, come forth, come out. He calls him from death to life because Lazarus knew his name. His sheep hear his voice. If you remember a few summers ago, I did a really little series on the I am statements of John's Gospels. Anybody remember that at all? It's okay if you don't. We'll do it again. Maybe we'll do it this summer. Um, but in John's Gospel, uh, one of the ways that Jesus identifies is the I am statements. In Greek, it's yego, I me. And it's directly connected to the burning bush in Exodus. When Moses goes up to the burning bush and he says, who should I say is sending me back to Egypt to set my people free? God's response is, tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. So that's how the Jews now get the Tetragrammatron, the Yahweh, right? Well, Jesus does that same thing. I am. He's identifying directly with God. Yego, I me. I am the gate. And then later says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus twice identifies himself as the gate. And that would make Jesus, ironically, both the shepherd and the gate itself. And this only makes sense if the gate is seen as his death and resurrection. So in addition to really upsetting the Judean leadership, he's also making a prophecy about his forthcoming death and resurrection. The good shepherd, in verse 11, again, we should read, but we don't read it today. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. This is in direct opposition to the stranger, that the sheep don't recognize the voice. It's in direct opposition to the thief and to the robber. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. The stranger comes to oppress, is prone to violence. This is what Jesus is saying about the temple officials. And I think he's speaking directly to the Pharisees, but the Pharisees literally can't hear him. The actual history of this period, the Pharisees ironically shared a great deal of Jesus' frustration with the temple leadership. In the first century, the Pharisees were kind of seen as the burgeoning liberalism of Jewish uh, first century theology. 
They wanted to renew Judaism. They wanted to reform Judaism. And it's a system that in the fourth gospel can't be reformed. Jesus is saying it's so broken, we just can't fix it. Which is why he prays in the great priestly prayer, my sheep know my name, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he prays for the people that he hasn't even met yet who will hear the story and believe the story and who could possibly be killed for believing the story. Ray Brown speaks to the Pharisees in the fourth gospel, fourth gospel as the police of the temple. And the, the kill aspect here could be that that's an idea that the Pharisees want to, to stay in the lunacy of the system that leads to destruction and death. They just want to alter it just enough. And so that leads to a gateway of what? What is Jesus actually proposing? A moment where the sheep pass through the gate because the gatekeeper finally allows it. No longer will outside forces try to steal or kill or destroy. And so when Jesus says those things, many of his hearers are saying, okay, this is the Messiah. He's going to set Israel up to be such a great place that nobody ever is going to try to attack us again. The only force that will be left to contend with is the shepherd. And then the sheep can graze as they please. Why do we, sheep, need a shepherd? Why are we so often in the Bible compared to sheep? Because we're stubborn and we want to go where we want to go and do what we want to do. And how dare anybody tell us differently? The sheep will listen to the voice of the person who protects them, who cares for them, who keeps them safe. If the sheep have a choice, they can also say, well, the devil made me do that. It's really easy to, to blame somebody else. And Jesus is saying the only person to blame is God, and you can't blame God because God loves you and wants to protect you. When Milo was really little, she was our escape artist. And she could get out of anything. We had gates and fences all through our house. We had this huge set of stairs. We were just so scared that she was going to learn how to, to get away and she was going to fall down these stairs. And do you know what that little thing did? She figured out on her own that if she laid down on her belly, she could fly down those stairs. And we were so entertained by it that we videoed it, right? We're like, look what our kid can do, right? She was, in many ways, a sheep without a shepherd because we were just entertained watching her do what we didn't want her to do. And Moria, our great little rule follower, would try to do it just like Mila did it, but she could only go down one step at a time because she didn't want to get in trouble, right? And you look at how your sheep are raised in the same pen and they do two completely different things. Keeping something in also means we have to keep things out. And Christianity, for way too long, has focused on how we keep things out. I know in my own life when I've tried to say I'm not this and I'm not that and I don't like that about that version of Christianity, I don't like that about that, that's just me admitting my own theological selfishness. 
and it's a gate that I create. Our gates say a great deal about our our theology and our philosophy. One of the things I love most about being Presbyterian, when I have those Baptist friends that ask me, why did you leave the Baptist church? And my answer is this, I was so daggone tired of focusing on everybody else's sin. And the first thing that I heard with Reformed theology, with Presbyterian theology, is that you are a sinner saved by grace, and the grace is only from God, God's self. You do nothing to earn that grace. Nothing. You do nothing to earn God's gracious love. That's the image of our shepherd. That's the shepherd who leads us, who knows us by name, who calls us to follow. The sooner we realize that we don't have to focus on all of the sin, except our own sin that we're trying to stop doing, that God loves us despite our sin, that Paul would write, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why I love the Presbyterian church, because we are people of grace. So as we leave this day, as we go back to our own sheep pens and we worry about our own sheep field, look at the world through the eyes of God and see who else God has forgiven. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It's now time for us to continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings, and you may sit down.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do thank you for the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us in this life. Lord, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask for your wisdom and your courage to use these gifts in a manner which you see fitting. I say all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Any of you on Facebook likely saw uh, Mike Duvall's mother passed away yesterday. Yesterday, right, Andy? Is that right? was a few days, okay. And I think uh, her memorial will be Monday if I read that correctly. Uh, so please be in prayer for the Duval family. You also may have seen, if you're my friend on Facebook, that uh, my wife's cousin passed away last weekend, so we memorialized him yesterday. He was 35. Uh, so please be in prayer for our family as well. I'm certain that there are other concerns. We know that Carol Buck is back in the hospital uh, as well, so please pray for her. Let's lift all of our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we do thank you for this life that you have granted us. We know that this life is so precious and so gentle, and at times, Lord, so rough and cumbersome. We're thankful, Lord, for those in our lives that you have granted us time to spend. We get to call them parent. We pray for Mike and the Duval family as they are mourning and grieving the loss of his beloved mother. We pray, Lord, that you have received her into your loving and waiting arms. We ask, God, that your spirit be upon them as they mourn and grieve. We pray, God, for Evan. We thank you for his life on earth. We pray, Lord, for his mom and his dad, if they miss him and the rest of the family. And again, Lord, we trust and believe that you have welcomed him into your loving and waiting arms. We pray, God, for all of us who mourn and grieve. We're fond of those who we keep in our memories, God, and our memories keep them alive in our hearts. And we thank you, Lord, that one day your promise will live and that we can be reunited with those we've lost here on earth. We're thankful, Lord, for the fellow sheep that we have in our own sheep pens, our neighbors, our friends, our families, our co-workers. We thank you, Lord, that for us, our call in life is to be a, a sheep who recognizes your voice and maybe eventually tries to convince others to hear it as well. We thank you, God, that you look at your creation and you say, it is very good. It is worthy to be saved, and that you extend grace to us all. God, forgive us for we fall short of your glory. Give us hope, Lord, for the hopeless. Encourage us, Lord, to see the world as you see the world, as a place worth saving and loving. God, we pray for the people who experience a time of war. We're mindful, God, now of the year-long war in Ukraine. We pray for peace in that area. We pray for the Russians and the Ukrainians. We pray, God, for the leaders to seek peaceful solutions. We pray, God, for the hostilities that seem to be forming between our country and China. We pray, God, for peace in that situation. We pray, Lord, for the tensions of the Middle East. We pray, God, for tensions in the places that the news doesn't always report. We pray, Lord, for those who are enslaved in Congo. We pray, God, for those who live every day of their lives just for a crumb of bread. God, we don't understand why some people have the lives that they have, and we ask, God, that you would be patient with us as we try to figure out how to help. 
We pray, God, for our president, the leaders of our nation. We pray that you would be patient as they listen for your still, small voice. We pray for our communities. We pray, God, this day for those who are sitting to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. In the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you, Lord, so much that you sent your Son to earth, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able and sing our closing hymn with us, hymn number 541. It may also be 542 because I don't read music and I think I picked the wrong one. So anyway, find the words and sing along to the melody that he plays for us.
You know, the irony of reading about being uh, God being a shepherd or a gate to a sheep pen, I've not spent a whole lot of time around sheep. I fully admit that, right? Maybe you all have. I don't know. But I've not, I like to eat them, but I've not been around them much. And so it's different for us that we don't live in an agrarian society as they did in the first century. And so sometimes those metaphors fall short on us. But if you go back and you know the story of the Old Testament and how often God referred to the leaders of faith as being shepherds, he was never really hard on the sheep, was he? He was just really, really hard on the shepherds. Those of us that take up the mantle and say we're called into a time of leadership that we're supposed to shepherd the people. I mean, my title is pastor, which is just another way of saying shepherd. Right, how many of you have ever had tacos pastor? And you may think it's because it's pork, and you say all porky pastors are big. That's not why it's called that. It's because it's roasted on a spit, and that's the way that shepherds roast their meat, is on a spit. And so when you have pastor tacos pastor, you're eating meat that's cooked the way that shepherds did out in the wilderness. Now we call that barbecue, right? We get to do that in our backyard. But it's hard to stand up here and tell you what to do. Right? That's the hard part. It's no wonder that shepherds always get the bad rap. Because if we say something wrong up here, if we're teaching the sheep to do something incorrectly, goodness gracious, we're, we're, we're doing judgment upon ourselves. And so I, I love that story that God, God says finally, you know what? I am the great shepherd. I know all of my sheep. Follow me. I can get behind that pretty easily. Right? No matter what I do, no matter how much I mess up, my shepherd will protect me and guide me and lead me to where I'm supposed to be. Let God lead you. Not just this day, this week, this month, or even this year, friends. Let God lead you. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May he be with us all until we meet again, either here or his glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday. Thank you.